Hello, everybody. This is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. This episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. Uh, we have a special guest, Patrick Fitzgibbons. He's joining us tonight, and he also does work with FHE Health. And uh, Pat is a retired pol- police professional himself, just like me, and he's got over two decades of experience in various capacities. Uh, he's an author, he's a coach, speaker, and educator, and uh, after his successful law enforcement career, Pat wanted to to continue to give back to the profession that was so good to him over the years, and that's exactly what I've been doing, and we really just want to help you know people out there, because that's what we do in recovery, folks, and we want to give you as many tools, as much information, and the encouragement that you need to get better. I really appreciate Patrick coming on to the podcast podcast tonight and he's got his own podcast and he's going to be telling you all about that so uh, we're going to get to know him we're going to hear his story and we're going to hear about the great work that he's doing we're going to just discuss how we can take that information to go out and help one another so with that pat thanks for coming on the show be here love what you're doing brother thanks for uh having me on yeah well i'll tell you what talk to the audience about how it is that we came together and what it is that you do well, you and I came together by a mutual friend uh, that happens to work with uh, FHE. Uh, as you, uh, thanks for the intro, Mike. As you mentioned in your introduction, I, I also work for FHE now uh, in business development and marketing and uh, trying to get people the much needed services uh, that they need, first responders, other people, uh, mental health, addiction, or both. But my journey was one, uh, it, it kind of took tw- uh, twists and turns. I retired in, uh, law en- from law enforcement in 2019. I spent uh, all my career in Colorado uh, and uh, retired in 2019 as a, as a police commander. I had about 23 years uh, on the job. And I really, really feel sorry, Mike, for, for the brave men and women who serve now because it's a different world, as you yeah. know. Oh, and yeah. your listeners probably know it's a different uh, policing. But thank God there's still brave men and women who want to be police officers now. Uh, I don't think they're in the numbers like we, you and I have seen them in years past. But thank God people are, are getting into it. But uh, I was a former patient at, at FHE, as you know, Mike. And, you know, it wasn't too long ago I was on the treatment. I was getting treatment uh, down in Florida and Deerfield Beach where uh, FHE is. And my story really began uh, in 2020 of December 2020. It was it was a holiday season, obviously. My son, uh, who's in the military, he's in the Air Force, came home for the holidays. And, uh, you know, it was a great Christmas. And the day that really changed my life was uh, December 27th, a couple days after Christmas. Uh, my daughter, my stepdaughter and I we had a hot or had a routine when she came back. She was living in Chicago at the time. We would work out, get up every morning really early. Well, this particular morning, it was about four o'clock in the morning. I heard a scream and I ran downstairs to the kitchen where my daughter, I heard the scream coming from. And my son was laying on his back in the kitchen floor, uh, gasping for air. And, you know, he had his bedroom downstairs. And uh, my stepdaughter said, yeah, he just came up the stairs and fell over. So I'm freaking out. Obviously, it's my son. Um, he was in and out of consciousness. I'm doing what I can to, to give him, uh, to get him back, sternum rubs and all that stuff. Uh, paramedics subsequently came uh, and they took him to the hospital. Now, before my wife and I, Mike, went to the hospital, I went downstairs and took a glance at his room where his bedroom was. And I noticed that he had vomited everywhere. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, it's got to be some medical condition that, you know, the military didn't catch, you know, when he uh, went into the military. So it's medical. He's in good hands. Uh, they're going to, they're going to help him, you know, so we get up to the hospital and, um, 
we're up there. My son is, uh, he's cognizant. He's awake now in the ER room. I see him. I see, you know, what happened? He's like, I don't know, dad. I just, I came up the stairs and my son was 20 at the time. Uh, I just fell over. That's the last I remember. And I said, well, you know, uh, they're going to they're help you. I know these ER docs up here. Uh, I had the benefit, Mike, of living and working in the same town, you know, in, in, in uh, just outside of Boulder, Colorado. So the hospital wasn't very far away. So um, about that time, my, my, do- my stepdaughter uh, texted me and said, hey, you need to call me. So I, uh, I called her right away and she said I was cleaning up, you know, his room downstairs and I found some suicide notes. Uh, so my son took uh, a lot of pills. I think it was Advil and drank a lot of booze and tried to kill himself. And one of the hardest things that I ever had to do, Mike, was to go back into that ER room where he was at and ask my son what had happened. You know, we were both crying. I was devastated. Thank God he was still here, uh, but I was devastated. And he said, yeah, dad, I, I tried to kill myself. And, you know, he had been going through some tough times, uh, stuff that uh, he was dealing with and, and I didn't see it. So I blamed myself. Um, but I told him, I said, you're going to get, you're going to get the help uh, you need. Um, he asked me not to tell the military. Um, and so I reluctantly said, I won't say anything to the military. Well, the military already knew where he was at because they were tracking him through his social security numbers. So I got a call from his chain of command and, uh, they asked me what was going on. And I said, well, it's a health condition. And they said, well, all due respect, sir, we know what's going on and rest assured, we're, we're not going to kick your son out. You know, we're going to get him the help he need needed. And they did. Mm-hmm. And my son now is thriving. You know, I mean, he's doing very well, got the treatment he needed to get. Uh, But Mike, I started going downhill. You know, I really started going downhill. Uh, As you know, you were in law enforcement a long time. Um, You know, we see a lot of death. We see a lot of trauma, uh, human suffering. And I remember seeing my son on the floor and all those images from every scene I ever went on uh, started coming flooding back. And, you know, as well as the military. You know, where that was 20 some years ago, almost 30 years ago, but I was having those images too. And I didn't realize it at the time, Mike, but um, I started pulling, pulling back. I started, you know, becoming more introverted. I started isolating myself. I started drinking. Uh, I was never a big drinker, but I started drinking a lot more to kind of ease the pain and kind of forget what, uh, what had happened. Obviously, this affected uh, my relationship with my wife. Uh, she was worried about me. She wanted me to get treatment. And like many first responders, I said, nah, I'm, you know, I'll deal with it like I have for years. Um, so I came down to Arizona in April of, of 2020. And um, my wife wanted me to go out of town, take some time. I got a lot of family down in Arizona. And when I was in Arizona, we talked and she said she wanted to talk to me when I <clears throat> got back to Colorado. And long story short, I got back to Colorado and she asked for a divorce. And it was a painful divorce. It was painful for both of us. Uh, but I got to a place in my life, Mike, uh, where I was very depressed, very isolated. I was drinking every day. My physical health was uh, in the toilet. I mean, I, I lost so much weight. I wasn't eating. My day consisted of Mike waking up at, you know, 10 a.m. or whatever and waiting for the liquor store to open. And going and buying a 12-pack of beer, sucking that down, maybe get some Grubhub, and, and just, you know, it was like Groundhog Day. Every day was like that to a point where uh, I was going to kill myself. I started having suicidal ideation. I started writing about it. Uh, I was staying with my younger brother at his house at the time in Denver. He had a big shed in the backyard, and I, I just had this ideation. I was like, I'm going to kill myself in that shed. And one night I was lying in bed, and I was drunk, and I, I had my Walther next to me, which is, you know, a 9 millimeter handgun. And uh, I raised it up and I was going to kill myself. And there was, you know, it's, it's, we all maybe have heard of, you know, the two angels on your shoulder. And I, I was literally having that happening to me uh, where I had one angel on one shoulder saying, you know, you're a POS and 
you know, you've, you've lost everything. You lost your wife, you know, and you're going through this and that. And this happened to your son. It's, it's your fault. You should just kill yourself. And then the other angel was telling me, you got a lot to live for. You can get through this. And so I put my gun down, reached for the phone. Uh, my family, my brothers and sisters knew something was going on with me at the time. But I, like every good first responder, you know, I put on a mask and said, oh, everything's great. But I wasn't great. So this time I picked up the phone and reached out. Uh, my younger sister came over to the house. I told my sister, I said, you know, I need some help. I'm going to kill myself. So we went to a hospital in Denver and I checked myself in. Uh, and the reason I checked myself in, and you know, and probably some of your listeners might, because I knew I could check myself out. You know, all I had to do is just talk to the psychologist. And I remember getting to this hospital, and I don't blame the hospital. They're just not set up for uh, for first responders. Um, and so I got to the hospital, was there for about four hours, told the psychologist, you know, or psychiatrist, I'm fine, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to kill myself. Um, so it kind of it pissed my sister off because she wanted me to stay there. I didn't want to stay. I remember through my network that there was a place down in Florida, but I, I couldn't remember what it was called. So I got back to my brother's house the next day. I started making phone calls and that was hard uh, being a first responder. You know, I had to put my ego aside um, and, and ask for help. Um, you know, I'm so used to, you mentioned my, I have a podcast like you, Mike, and you know, I'm, I'm used to like giving advice and <laughs> now here, 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 here I am, you know, I need to take my own advice, but I did it and it was the best thing I ever did. So went down to Florida, uh, FHE, part of the Shatterproof program for first responders. Got amazing treatment, really was the foundation that helped me build on that. Um, the program gives you the foundation and uh, it's amazing treatment. We could, we could probably talk about it, uh, what it consists of, but uh, that really got me started on my journey. And I wanted to continue to give back to first responders more than I had been uh, in the past. And now, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And now I'm working for the program that I was once a patient. And it's an honor working uh, for FHE and, and the Shatterproof program. So my job now is I do a lot of, you know, business development, uh, marketing, and, and trying to connect people who need the, the much needed services, namely first responders. And there's a ton of them, as you know. So I know that's my story in a nutshell, brother. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing how life works. Yeah, it, it really is. And uh, we were talking before you came on the program, uh, just so the listeners know that that that's your situation here. You are working for the very place where you went through treatment. Yeah. And I, as we speak, as I'm doing this podcast, I am sitting in the treatment center uh, working as an intern um, as yeah. I'm completing uh, some requirements uh, for licensure to become a therapist. I'm in the same facility that I was in, yeah. and yeah. Uh, it's an amazing thing. It, it, it really is. And uh, congratulations to you because Thank I you. don't know – uh, now you you were a paratrooper, correct? Uh, you were eighty second airplane. Yeah, yeah, I was jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. Yeah. Now the reason, and that's phenomenal. Uh, and thank you for your service, and and thank you for everything that that you've done, not only in your law enforcement career but your military career. No, and and I'm going to throw something out at you, um, and and I'm going to see if you agree with this because uh, those that listen to this podcast podcast know my background, and I will mm -hmm. tell you that no matter what I've done in my career, no matter how hard and difficult some of the things I've done in my career and your career as well. Um, the most difficult thing I ever did and the best thing I've ever did, I've ever done in my life was get sober. That, that oh, yeah. hands down, A was the mm -hmm. hardest thing that it happened, you know, cause my, my story has a little different path than yours in that it took me a long, long time to finally get into long-term sobriety. <laughs> yours seemed to, um, uh, happened a little bit quicker, but it was very, very difficult. But what's interesting 
about our stories is you you and I towards the end the end of our stories are very similar but I loved um, how you you talked about having the the two voices or the way that you put it was the two angels on your shoulders because I've often told my story that it really was you you have one voice in one ear saying look this has to stop and you've got to get better and then the, you have the other voice saying, let's just keep going and let's do it. And there really is that battle. And I know working in the treatment center here, I hear that a lot with a lot of different yeah. patients that it's, um, you know, when addiction, you know, people that have never gone through addiction. And, and if you're listening to this podcast and you have a loved one that is going through this, it really is a battle. It's a real battle. Your loved one isn't drinking or drugging themselves to death because they dislike you or they're angry at you or uh, they're a bad person. You know, this has nothing to do with being a good or bad person. It is a disease, the disease of addiction. It's a very serious disease. And when you are under the control of this disease, it is a power that is uh, something that is difficult to describe, almost impossible to describe, but it affects everyone to include people like yourself that are very tough human beings, you know, paratroopers in the U.S. Army that are very tough human beings. But man, when this thing has you, it's not letting go and you're not winning that battle. Uh, was that your no, experience as well? Absolutely. You know, I, I went down and that was a great summation, Mike. I mean, I, I, you know, I went down there. I, 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 was, I was never a big drinker. I mean, I would drink socially. But I was heading down the path uh, of addiction. Like I said, my, every day I was getting beer. I mean, I never really liked the hard stuff that much, but I, I was getting beer and it's alcohol nonetheless. But I, I went down more for, for, for mental health uh, issues. But I would attend, you know, uh, the, the wellness meetings now or AA meetings. I would go there every night because just to hear the stories and learn. But I had the same thing happen to me. I mean, it was, it was a battle, you know, and until... Uh, I got settled into the program and really dived into the program. It, I still heard, you know, the, the voices, you know, you're, you know, you need to, you know, leave here, you know, get out of here, you know, go back, resume, you know, the state you were in. And, and it's like, you, you said it very well. I mean, it's a, it's a battle and it continues to be uh, a battle. You know, I'm much more empathetic now and I, to people. I was empathetic before, but much now, much more now to people who are suffering from, from mental illness. And there's a ton of them out there, Mike, you know that. Oh yeah. Uh, not just, not just first responders, but uh, uh, you know, a lot, somebody's carrying something and you know that your listeners probably do. Everybody's carrying something, you know, a baggage, whatever, whatever you want to call it, scars, uh, damage. And, you know, I've become much more empathetic to, to people who are suffering now because you're right. It's not, it's not that they hate uh, like a teenager, for example, with their parents, it's not that they hate their parents, but I, God, I hope they don't, but, it's the addiction that has taken over. Uh, and now with all the, the stuff that is out there, the, all the drugs that are out there, you know, uh, you and I probably dealt with marijuana, maybe a little bit of cocaine when we were growing up, you know, in high school. Now it's fentanyl and all this other crap that's out there. So it's, it really is a shame. And but thankfully, there's programs out there, um, you know, that can help, namely first responders with addiction and mental health. And Shatterproof is, is an amazing program. We were talking before. Uh, you know, before we started about, you know, RRT and EMDR and, uh, you know, the brain stimulation that Chatterproof has down in their facility, it really is cutting edge stuff. Uh, and it, and it, it changed my life, brother. I mean, it saved my life. You know, I took the step, you know, and I tell people a lot, you know, you have to take that first step. But once you take that first step, it's it was liberating, Mike. And you, you asked me before, you know, uh, are you okay telling your story? You know, if you would ask me that question, Mike, a couple of years ago, I would have said absolutely not. Now, I'm not afraid anymore. 
because if I can help somebody, if, if there's a listener out there right now that can say, well, well, he did it, I can do it, then I'm, I'm, I've, I've done my job. I'm happy. You know, I remember when I was down in therapy, I was down in Shatterproof, a, a friend of mine who's still on the job, uh, he, he was calling me and he said, you know, hey, people are asking about you because I made it publicly. I went on my show, Mike, before I entered treatment. I said, this is where I'm going to be. This is where, because, you know, people would want to know, you know, I'm not doing the show for a while. And I, and I was very candid about it. And I said, yeah, I, I need to get some help. And so people knew where I was at, you know, my good friends. And so one of my friends called me up and said, hey, do you, people are asking about you. Do in the department I used to work with, do you mind if I, I uh, tell them what you're doing? I said, absolutely not. Tell them, you know, tell them. I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid anymore. And once people can get over that fear, because I think a lot of people out there, and I'm making an assumption, but. I know I was, you know, they're so afraid of what people are going to think that they're going to yeah. look weak. They're they're going to look, you're going to look weak and people aren't going to, you know, I, I don't look at it that way. Maybe I'm just naive, Mike. I look at it as a sign of strength because if you don't take care of yourself, especially as a first responder, how are you going to take care of your family? How are you going to take care of the community? How are you going to be at your peak level? You should be at, you know, you can't, you can't do it. And I, you know, I teach in the Academy sometimes and, and I tell these young officers, um, you know, I, I said, you need to take care of yourself, your mental health. You and I, Mike, didn't have this when no, we were on the job, no, none. you know, and, and you need, I think we're getting better, but you need to take care of yourself, you know, mentally, physically. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, um, and you, you're absolutely right. We are not even close to where we need to be right now, but we definitely, uh, are getting better. In fact, uh, I, uh, I was telling, uh, Patrick before he came on the show that I'm teaching, in an academy, one of our local police academies next week. Um, I, I was at an academy a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I still teach at the FBI Academy. We talked about addiction at the FBI National Academy. So we are doing that, but it's not mm-hmm. near enough. And I think that uh, not just for first responders. Now, now Patrick and I are both former first responders, That, but that's, but understand what we're talking about applies to everybody. I yeah, sit exactly. in this, in fact, you know, as I sit in this treatment center right now and I talk to the patients all day long, that's all I do. And and, and, you know, the, I always get asked by every patient, well, you know, what do I do? What do I tell people when I go back and, you know, my daughter's got a wedding next week and, and people are going to ask me, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? And they obsess over that. And that's, uh, we can get into that discussion and talk about, you know, strategies, um, you know, mm-hmm. for early recovery, because usually the people that worry a lot about that are people that are in early recovery and then I'm not I'm not disparaging that that's a valid concern and and it's a discussion that needs to be had but what I want to address is why that is a concern for, for everyone and that predominantly has to do with the fact that this this is such a stigmatized disease now I don't want to be very clear about this addiction is a disease it is not a moral issue for example we are in the middle of March I live in Virginia and the everything's starting to bloom right now. And I want you to picture this. Imagine this conversation. If let's say things are blooming and I have um, a runny nose and I'm sneezing and I'm snotting and, and I'm, I'm just miserable because of, of all the flowers that were blooming and I have really bad allergies. And that is in fact what mm-hmm. happens about this time of year. So I'm bracing for that right now. But imagine it, Patrick, if you came up to me and said, you know, Mike, you know what your problem is? You know why you're sneezing like that? Because you don't go to church enough. Um, do you know why you're sneezing like that? Because you don't love your wife enough. You don't love your kids. You know, if you were a, a better employee, that would be better. And I would look at you and I would say, Pat, what does that have to do with anything? Yeah. And of course, the answer to that is 
nothing. It has nothing yeah. to do with it. And now we can understand that. I mean, that's a clear example. But when it comes to drinking or drugging, and in my case, it was alcohol. And I think in your case, it was strictly alcohol as well. Imagine if you came to me and said, Mike, you know, if you went to the gym more often, you wouldn't drink like that. Imagine if you loved your wife, you wouldn't drink like that, etc., etc. And I'm thinking, but Patrick, you don't understand. It has nothing to do with it. I do love my wife. I do think I'm yeah. a good employee. I, you know, I do go to the gym. I do these different things, but yet I'm still drinking myself to death. Yeah. It's because one has nothing to do with the other. Absolutely. And the problem is in our communities, we still put, even though people intellectually will tell you that they understand that addiction is a disease. I'm not so convinced that people truly believe that, but it is. If your loved one is drinking the way that we drank, it's it's because it has taken over, and there's no one that wants them to stop more than they they do, but they just can't stop because of the the physiology that has taken over. And we've covered that in other podcasts, and we can discover we we can discuss that a little bit more here. But the fact is, there is no off switch because of the the um, the genetic miswiring within the body. You know, the the alcoholic does not has a, it has a different sense of euphoria that the non-alcoholic never experiences, never mm-hmm. experiences. And that has to be stopped, and there's programs for that, programs like FHE and other programs that are out there as well. Yeah, but do you agree absolutely. with uh, my assessment of that? Oh, absolutely. That was well said, Mike. And, you know, it's like the, the I got this, you know, a little bit from my family when I was drinking, I was going down that path is, well, why don't you just stop drinking? Well, I mean, to your point, I mean, I, I was heading down that path where I was craving alcohol every day. And, I mean, it... I, I, to your point, I, I think people think, well, there's an on and off switch, you know, and you get a, a serious alcoholic or somebody who drinks all the time. The body needs that because it's an addiction and there's ways to wean people off that through treatment, like you said, but you can't, I, I think it's naive to think that uh, an alcoholic or somebody else with addiction issues can just shut it off. You know, and you can't do that. You know, you can't do that. That's what treatment is for. I mean, you can, but it, you're, 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 you know, the, the addict is probably going to pay for it in some way, shape or form physically. Yeah. So, Hey, by the um, way, if you're listening to us and you are drinking the way that we're describing, it's actually dangerous to just stop. You you really yeah. do need to be medically walked down. You got you have to be careful with that. You should be medically walked down. Yeah. Yeah. So people who, you know, are out there and, and uh, you know, say, well, they should just quit. I mean, it just comes down to Mike, and you probably know this. It, it just comes down to educating more. I mean, we have this amazing age we're living in with information is at our fingertips. Yeah, you need to vet the information, but just, you know, do some do some research and say, okay, this is, like you said, it is an addiction. It is an addiction. So, okay, these are the things that, you know, I'm going to look at online or wherever and just research it a little bit more. But I agree with you. We still have that society where it's so stigmatized. I think we're getting better because there's more awareness, there's more knowledge out there and information. But you're, you're exactly right where, you know, the, the, the people out there are going to put people in a box or label them. Why doesn't he just quit or she quit? And it's not that easy. You know, it's not that easy. I remember when I, I got out of treatment, a, bro, a buddy of mine got on the phone with me and he, he was frantic. He was crying. And, you know, he had been through the program a couple of times and he was on his way to go to uh, an AA meeting. And he he called me up and he was upset and he was he was crying. He was sobbing. I was like, well, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, well, I'm going to the AA meeting, but I just I'm passing all these liquor stores. I just want to stop and get some some booze. And I said, yeah, don't do that, man. You can do it. Just stick with it. And it's an addiction. I mean, like you said, I mean, it goes back to it's an addiction. It so hijacks he, your brain. Yeah, it hijacks your brain and, and it takes over. And But the but the good thing is, you know, you know, Mike, you're, you're, you've been clean and sober for several years now. There is help. 
mm-hmm. you can get help like FHE. You know, there is, there are resources out. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, what people I, need to understand too, and and this is something unique to uh, to where you went to treatment is the the work on the neural pathways and, and the, yeah. the functioning of the brain. And Excellent. what we have to understand is that when you are drinking and drugging the way that we're describing, the neural pathways in your brain actually change. The wiring of your brain mm-hmm. changes. Now, the brain, fortunately, is very malleable and and can and be can be reshaped. Okay, and there's there's things that you can things that you can do to help that, and we 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 can talk about health, we can talk about diet, we can talk about exercise. Certainly, you have to be abstinent to allow your brain to uh, repair the damage. But um, a lot of a lot of those neuropathways and those uh, you know really just sort of the pathways that that. Uh, where you're getting those pleasure senses from, you have to be careful with that because you never want to pick up a drink or a drug again because Absolutely. that uh, that will just re-trigger you know, the whole process yeah. over again. Now, but what I really am excited about is a lot of the work that was done, you know, where you went to treatment. You know, a lot of people need to, let me just say this before I kick it over to you and you can describe what, what is being mm-hmm. done down in Florida at FHE Health. But um, a lot of people think that AA, and, and you mentioned AA, and that's that's why I'm going to talk about this right now. They think that 12-step programs get you to stop drinking. That's actually incorrect. 12-step programs don't get you to stop drinking. And I want you to listen closely to this, folks. 12-step programs prevent you from starting drinking. And that's a big difference. Treatment and detox get you stopped drinking. Then the 12-step programs yep. help create a lifestyle and a way of dealing with life and dealing with life's problems that keep you from starting drinking because it's that first drink that kills you. There's an old um, adage in AA that it's not the hundredth drink that kills you; it's the first one because that's what yeah. starts that whole process over. Absolutely, again, right? Absolutely. And so that's what those programs are all about. Now that's because we're dealing with life, we're dealing with resentments, we're dealing with. Um, you know, just the difficulties of life. That's what causes people to go back out and drink is being angry, being Mm -hmm. upset, having a tragedy in their life. But now it gets easier over a period of time. That's That's the good news in recovery is that as our bodies and our brains heal and we become better equipped spiritually and in dealing programs to deal with those problems, it does get easier. But mm-hmm. that that damage is still done in the brain, and there's those neural pathways. And so I never went through a, a program where that was uh, actively uh, worked on, but you did. And if you could yeah. just describe to the listeners a bit about what you went through and what that was all about. Absolutely. I mean, a part of a big component of the Shatterproof program uh, that's part of FHE was the neural stimulation. A lot of programs out there, Mike, you know, and maybe your listeners know, they have neural feedback. Well, the difference with FHE is they have actual neurostimulation. And neurostimulation is basically, you, you, you talked about neurons. It's basically rewiring, for lack of a better word, and, and I'm sorry, I'm not a doctor, but basically they map your brain. When I got down to Shatterproof, part of the intake process is they map my brain. And the purpose of mapping, <coughs> excuse me, the brain or my brain or patient's brain is to see what areas need help, i.e. depression, uh, PTSD, you know, suicidal ideation, lack of sleep, anxiety, you name it. They can tell by looking at the brain what areas they need to focus on. So they map my brain when I get down there. And I'm thinking, I've never heard of this stuff before. What the heck is this? But there's obviously science behind it. And we know so much that we know very little about the brain, but we're getting better with it. And these people down at FHE are amazing. So they map my brain and they get a reading, they get a baseline where I'm at. 
And then the next step is to start the neurostimulation. Now it is, um, you know, they, they put like a, 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 a thing on your head, uh, not a helmet, but like a, you know, it's just, a, it's hooked up to, uh, you know, little stimulants, you know, so they're, they're giving you, and I, I was freaking out, Mike, when I got there, because I was like, this is electroshock therapy. It's not electroshock <laughs> no, it's therapy. Not. Yeah. But they, they stimulate your brain, little milliamps in areas, and you have like a fishnet thing on your head. And, and different areas that they want to focus on. Now, the question that I always get is, well, how long does it take? Well, on average, it takes about four or five sessions for, for people to start or patients to start seeing uh, a difference. In my case, like I said before we went on the air, was about five sessions. And then I could start feeling the difference. And Mike, it was like night and day. Now, that was coupled with, like you said, giving the brain time to heal, not drinking, you know, doing yoga doing breath work, doing, you know, acupuncture with which all of those FHE offers. So it was a neurostimulation was a big part of my treatment. Um, but it was all the other things too, coupled with neurostimulation. It really was a game changer for me. And I did about 18 sessions. Now you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned like neurostimulation works. It's, 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 you know, it'll last a long time in some cases forever, but it depends on the, the patient. You mentioned somebody going through a program, you know, say they go through shatterproof and they, they do the neurostimulation and they get back to, you know, their, their home or house and they start drinking again. And you're exactly right. That's going to reverse what, what happened with the neurostimulation. Now you're back in the old habits again. So the brain is going to go back to that, you know, habit before. But neurostimulation, like I said, brother, it was a game changer for me. And shatterproof and FHE are the only ones I believe in the country that, that offer that right now is the neurostimulation. A lot of Places offer neurofeedback, which is good, but FHE offers the neurostimulation, which, in my opinion, is a game changer. Yeah, that's uh, it's amazing. It's it's the only only program in the country, or one of a few yeah. that does yeah, it. Yeah, one of a few. I mean, there. You know, I, I know a lot about a lot of programs like you do, and you know, the big push now, Mike, is is you know, a lot of programs out there are starting to realize that first responders need help. I think 39% of first responders out there, when I'm talking first responders, I'm just talking about cops, as you know, but for the listener, I'm talking about fire, EMS, paramedics all fall under that first uh, responder umbrella. 39% of the people out there, first responders are suffering either from mental health, addiction, or both. That's 39%. That's who we know about. My guess is that the the, the number is probably higher. Yeah, I am thinking it's a lot higher than that. Yeah, it's a lot higher than that. So it's like the dark figure of crime, brother. I mean, we yeah. only know about crime of what's reported. Okay, what's unreported? So there's pro- that number's probably a lot more. But and by the, the way, is- uh, depending on the agency that you're talking about, like I, mm-hmm. I was a Washington D.C. police officer yeah. in the mid '90s, and I would, I, I would say it was probably oh, most of the oh, department. Okay. Yeah. Forget about thirty nine percent. It was probably, yeah. you know, it was the Wild West. It was we we were having yeah. we had a police related shooting per week. So yeah. it was. So it's probably much higher. Yeah, but um, there's a lot of programs out there, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, putting them down or anything. And and they're probably good programs, but you know, a lot of programs, a lot of uh, you know, programs now are starting to offer more in terms of mental health uh, treatment and addiction treatment for first responders. But FHE is, is the number one program out there. I mean, when I was going through, uh, when I was starting to to research treatment for me, Mike. Um, I have a lot of friends, as you do, uh, big network, and I was talking to, to good friends in, in Phoenix, and a good friend of mine, you know, who who has many connections, and you know, in the, in the treatment sphere, he was a former first responder down here in, in uh, Phoenix, 
he said, you know, Pat, I can, we can, we can get you down in Arizona, but the place you need to be is the number one place in the country. And that's FHE and the Shatterproof program for first responders. And within 48 hours, I don't think I said this when I told my story, within 48 hours, Mike, I was down in Shatterproof. And that's the thing where I see, I talked to a lot of cops and, um, you know, that, that's the thing that, that a lot of first responders, again, I'm not speaking for all of them, but the ones I talked to is they'll reach out the ones that do, and they'll, they'll have to wait forever. The, the, for a callback or, okay, you know, we got to get you into this or we're looking at this facility shatterproof and not, I'm, I'm not in every case, maybe, but in a lot of cases, they're going to get you down there quickly. And it was because they want to get you immersed in the program immediately. And the good thing about Shatterproof is, again, so much of first responders is based on trust. You know, they're not going to open up, as you know, Mike, to oh, anybody. Yeah. 80%, 75%, 80% of the staff down in FHE in the Shatterproof program are former first responders. And in a lot of cases, they're former patients. So I remember getting in there in my first group, Mike, I get in there, there's like 20 people in there, men, women, they're all first responders. And, you know, I was apprehensive. Obviously, I was nervous. I was scared. I was fearful until, you know, one of the, the counselors in there, you know, started telling his story, which, in my opinion, brings a lot of credibility. Former military did this, that, that, and he's still in recovery and he's still doing treatment. And then I was like, oh, not only am I among first responders, my brothers and sisters, but then I learned shortly after that, that the staff, most of the staff are former patients. And now they're working for Shatterproof, which is amazing. And I don't think there's a lot of uh, programs out there that can, that can say that. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm making an assumption. But no. uh, that, to, that to me was, was, okay, now I trust because they get it, Mike. You and I can tell war stories all day and, and you get it. You know, even though we've never met in person, okay, you get it, Mike. You were a first responder. You know how it is. No, there there has to be a place for uh, for first responders. There there really has to be because I know that was one of the reasons why I got into the work that I got into because I know when I went into treatment, there was no no one on the staff uh, with my background. Um, There were no patients that had my background. And and let's face Mm -hmm. it, folks, when you end up in a treatment facility, um, not not everybody likes the police. You know, particularly these days. Exactly. And but that's always been in the case. And. And it's very, very difficult because things that we see every day, you know, let me put it in perspective. A police officer or a first responder sees every day things that for most people, if they saw it once or twice in their lifetime, would be traumatized. They'd be in therapy for the rest of their life over what they witnessed. Uh, When you're in law enforcement, that's just a a normal work day. And in order to talk about those things, it's difficult when you're, um, you're working with counselors they have never experienced what you experienced. They have no idea what yeah. you're what you're going through. And there's just something soothing. There's something that uh, you know a way that you can sort of just put your guard down because partic- police officers in particular, there's a there's really a guard that's up. You don't trust anyone uh, no. for any reason, and you have to be in a place where you can feel open to talk to others about the experiences that you've had, the good, the bad, the ugly, and and it has yeah. to be a safe space where you know that uh, the information that you're sharing is not going to go anywhere else. And there just are not, are not a, mo- a lot of facilities that do that. There are others. There no. are more there, more are opening up around the country, but uh, not many. And we certainly have to have more because yeah. it is just a tragedy what we're going through. And I'll, and I'll tell you, uh, but, but I, by the way, I know we're talking about first responders here, but do understand that, uh, you know, Patrick is talking about 
uh, FHE Health. FHE Health is not just for first responders, though. There is no. a shatterproof program, but it, if if anybody out there is listening, you're thinking, "But well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not a first responder." Uh, no, the 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 public can go to FHE Health. Uh, there, there are all kinds of programs that are there. Correct. Yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that, Patrick. No, you're absolutely right, Mike. There, there. So you have FHE, which is think of an umbrella. Now under FHE, you have all these different programs. Empower Women is a program designed specifically for women. You have various programs, like five programs. FHE is just one of those programs that falls under the FHE umbrella. You know, they have a sunlight program. Uh, you know, and anybody who is interested uh, in that, I mean, can contact me. Contact you, Mike. I mean, mm-hmm. and go to the FHE website. Uh, you just Google FHE. Uh, and you'll see it come up. And you, to your point, you're exactly right. I mean, it's not just for first responders. First responder program, the shatterproof program, is a component that falls under the FAG umbrella. And they're helping all kinds of people, you know, all kinds of people. I mean, the residential side is, is you know, people from all walks of life, you know, but uh, FAG is very good at what they do. But you made a good point. I'm glad you said that, Mike. It's not just for first responders, even though you and I have first responder backgrounds. I'm working specifically with first responders. It's not just for first responders. They have other programs for people who need help, you know, the civilian population, mm-hmm. which is awesome because so many people out there need help. Uh, you know, and now the one thing about the Shatterproof program is they, you know, they have their own little area because they want to try to keep the, the first responders, you know, you know, together uh, in, in, in an area. Because like you said, Mike, and you made a really good point. I mean, not everybody likes the cops. <laughs> so, but what, so when you're around other first responders and fire and EMS, that's when, I mean, some of the biggest breaks uh, through his mic that I had and talking with other patients when I was there in the Shadowproof program, yeah, you have breakthroughs in counseling and, and things like that and other, other, you know, modalities that they're, they're working with patients on. But just sitting in the courtyard and having discussions, open and honest discussions, with other first responders that were going through difficult times, that is huge, man. Some of the, you know, walls come down. Okay, he's a brother, he's a sister, I can tell him this. And it, it truly, like I, I, every show I go on, Mike, and everybody I talk to, and I'm not BSing, you know, Shatterproof saved my life. I said that before. I took the first step, but Shatterproof gave me that foundation. And I tell people this all the time. Shatterproof is not going to cure everything. You still have to do the work. Mm-hmm. So, when you know, I still went through IOP. When I got, you know, when I get back, I still am in counseling. Uh, I tell people shatterproof is amazing. FHE is amazing, but you still have to do the work. You know, we were talking about AA. I mean, you can't go to one AA meeting and, and think everything's going to be great. You have to constantly go. You know, you have to, when you're having those cravings, like the example I gave, that, that guy that I was talking to, a friend of mine, he, he went to the AA meeting, thank God. And I said, okay, do me a favor, brother, take a picture and let me know you were there. And he did. You know, it's a constant battle. It doesn't stop when you leave treatment. You know, that's no, just it just gives beginning. you the tools. Uh, because, you, the, you know, tools. the thing is, is I'm, I'm about a decade in to, to recovery. Yeah. And I work, I do almost as much work on my recovery every single day now oh, as I yeah. did in that first year. Uh, it, it actually just becomes a way of life. But, exactly. uh, you know, treatment, whether you go to FHE or you go to any other treatment facility, uh, they're going to give you the basic tools. It's kind of like boot camp. It's kind of like uh, yeah. treatment is like recovery boot camp. You know, re- boot camp, you go in, you're introduced to the the organization, the Army, Navy, whatever, whatever you go into, and uh, it gives you those basic skills. But then you go off into advanced training and uh, and develop other skills. And that's kind of what recovery is, is like. Absolutely. But you've got to do it, and you've got to do 
the work. It is a, it is a um, you know, the 12-step program in particular is a program that develops your spiritual life because having a purpose greater than yourself is really kind of the secret sauce to, to reco- long-term recovery. And that is work developing and whatever that means to you. I'm not even saying religion. I'm talking about spirituality and just learning that there's a a greater purpose. You know, it's not uncommon. Look at what Patrick and I are doing right now, doing this podcast and trying to help others. That's very typical in in recovery because what happens uh, is it, it will manifest itself in different ways in different people. But you kind of take on a new mission. And that's what, that's a lot of what addiction was all about. I, I, you know what, and maybe this is uh, something to discuss here. I I know for me, um, I, I, recovery, and I just thought of this just now, Patrick, I'm a very driven person and it sounds like you are too. And what happened was I became very, very driven. And then at some point it was like I stopped developing and stopped, um, uh, pushing for the next step, pushing for the next thing that I wanted to do, do to accomplish. And it, and it, for me, it hit middle age. And then it was kind of like, I was rudderless after a while. I had achieved yeah. all the goals that all the professional goals I wanted and And then I got to where I wanted to be and then became disillusioned with that. You know, I yeah, exactly. worked really hard to get to this position, to get into this organization. And I, I, you get there and then you realize it's not all that you thought it was going to be and you're not satisfied mm-hmm. with it. And then you become disillusioned with it. And then you're like, but now you're middle-aged and you can't start over. You got a family, you got you know, all these. And then that was kind of where I started going off track and then using alcohol to sort of numb that away. But unfortunately I have that genetic predisposition predisposition and then the disease took off and then you know and here we are today uh to where i'm you know one of the grateful uh, i'm grateful that i'm one of the lucky ones that got into recovery but what happens in recovery is we kind of reconnect with what you know that being driven for the next thing except for it being the career now i'm driven to help other people and i've i've gotten that new mission so to speak is that what happened with you Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. You know, when I retired from law enforcement 23 years, uh, I was at the height of my career. I had risen to the ranks. I work hard. I retired as a commander. When I left law enforcement in 2019, I thought that it was just a chapter and I was closing. But I didn't realize, you mentioned being driven, that Mm -hmm. how much the job drove me and how much I was driven by the job. And I lost my identity. Mm-hmm. You know, I can say that now. I lost my identity because, and you probably know, and other first responders that might be listening to this, it's such a big part of your life. So when I left in 2019, you know, my ex-wife and I traveled and did all kinds of other stuff, and it was fun. But there was something deep inside me that I, I, I wasn't driven. Sure, I had my show and things like that, but I'm glad you brought that up because this came up in my therapy, and it really, you know, started digging deeper, and I lost my drive. I lost my drive. I lost my meaning whatever it is what I was doing in life because so much of what I was doing was tied up into a law enforcement career. And when I left that, there was a huge void, whether I you know, liked it or not. And then I hit rock bottom. But to your point, when I, when I started getting better and I started my recovery, I started having more purpose and my mission changed. Okay. My law enforcement career is over. My law enforcement career is over. I had my time. Now my new mission like yours is, is to help people that are suffering out there and use my example and your example for hope. Now, hope, you can't just survive and get recovery based on hope. There has to be action behind it. So that's why, you know, my mission now, uh, Mike, and for your listeners is to help connect people to the services they, they need to get help, recover, continue their recovery, and lead normal or whatever normal is it today, Mike, uh, lead, lead a happy life. And that's my new mission. Mm-hmm. And by going on shows and doing my podcast and coming on your great show, 
hopefully we can reach people out there because there is there's a lot of resources out there fhe again another huge resource for for not only civilians but for first responders but that's my mission now brother i mean and yeah. it is so surreal we were, we were talking about this before we started um it, it's so interesting how life works out and the one thing that i started to do more in recovery and i credit this to the neurostimulation among other things but the neurostim was huge was my mindset you know realizing that the stuff i used to worry about either i made it bigger in my head than it really was or if it came to fruition it wasn't as big as i thought it was going to be i'm not saying i live in a bubble and rainbows and unicorns all the time life happens but now i don't react the same way i did in the past where i would get extremely anxious you know nervous depressed and I, I'm still a work in progress. You know, I still do my, you know, counseling and things like that. But I love how you said that, you know, and used your you as an example, because I'm definitely on a new mission now. And my mission is to help first responders because there's so many of them out there that are suffering in silence and they don't need to suffer in silence. And trust me, I know for the listener out there, it's fear. A big part of it is fear. You're going to be judged. You're going to, people are going to look at you. You know, it's like the, you know, I know it's overused, but I'll use it. It's like the oxygen mask on an airplane, Mike. You know, your listeners have probably heard this a million times. So who do you put the oxygen mask on first? You put it on you first. You got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. And that's a big part of treatment, becoming good again, becoming yourself again, and realizing that it's not a quick fix, that you have to put in the work. And again, you put in the work, I put in the work, and life will get better. It you know, can't get better. Yeah. Yeah. It cannot. One of the best quotes I ever heard, Mike, was a couple of years back. And I don't know if you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is, a big social media guy and has a marketing agency. And I remember seeing it, uh, I think it was a TED Talk or a YouTube video. And he comes out on the stage, you got all kinds of people in the audience. And he has this slide up there and it says 400 trillion to one. And people are like looking at him and they're like, what's this guy talking about? And he says, anybody know what that means? 400 trillion to one. That is the statistical probability of you being born as a human. And when I first saw that, that is really, I mean, you can Google it, you can, you can research it. That is the statistical probability. Now, the point in all that is you have this one life. That's all you have. If you're suffering, please reach out, ask for help, take that first step. I know it's difficult. I've been there. Mike's been there, but you can do it, but you got to have the right people around you. And I tell people this all the time, Mike, you got to surround yourself with people that are going to lift you up, not bring you down, you know, and you surround yourself with people who are going to push you and, and drive you and support you, you know, in your treatment. Uh, those are the people that you want around you. I'm blessed, Mike. I have people within my family, good friends that push me. We all need push, you know, uh, especially when I have bad days. You know, you, you've been through hell and back. You can do this. Yeah, you're right. I can. And you know what's and funny, what too? You know what's funny about what you were saying? And and I know you do a lot of teaching. I do a lot of teaching. I do a lot of public speaking. And I always ask this question. In fact, I, it's usually one of the first things that I, I ask the group is how many of you in here know someone or you are someone, or you work with someone that suffers from an addiction issue. Yeah, and nearly everyone raises their hand. Absolutely, there. And and I had, uh, in fact, I even had a patient today ask me. He said, uh, you know, you know, I, I'm so afraid that people are going to judge me, and that they might say, you know, my I'm going to go out, and my buddies are going to pick on me, and I'll be the the brunt of every joke. Mm -hmm. 
And I said, uh, first of all, let's just start with, if you have any friends that come up to you and bully you because you, you're, you're working on getting well due to they're your, not your, they're not, first of all, you need to get rid of them. I can tell you that. Yeah. But I will tell you this. And I said, you know, in nearly a decade of recovery, I've never experienced what you're talking about. Never. Yeah. Uh, in fact, quite the opposite. I'm pretty open. Like you, I'm, I'm very open about my recovery and I tell people about it. And um, you know what I always get, Patrick? I get, yeah. oh my God. Congratulations. Good yeah. for you. I, I and, and I will always and they will always follow it up with a story of someone in their life that they wish would get well the the way that I did. Mm-hmm. And they're like, gosh, I, I really could you talk to so and so for me? Because we've we've tried to get them well for so yeah. long. Can you help them? Or, you know, I've had people come up and tell me that they were they were suffering from an addiction. And uh, and I've gone through, in, in my, my law enforcement career, I've had to go through background reinvestigations. And I've even had mm-hmm. the investigators that were doing the um, background reinvestigation stop and ask me what, you know, what was it that I did? To, what worked for me? Because they knew somebody that needed to get well. Or people that yeah. they've investigating never got well. And then consequently, it affected their, their jobs. And so they yeah. were, it was almost like they were more amazed that I had years of sobriety and they wanted it. Well, how did you do it? Like, why is this working for you and not other people? So if you're listening right now, I'm telling you, if you get into long-term recovery, it's a great thing. And nearly everybody I know recognizes that the only people that don't recognize it as being a good thing is us for some reason. I've never, I've never figured out why that is, but we're the only ones that don't get it. Yeah. and, 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 And to piggyback on what you said, Mike, excellent. What you said, there were people in the first responder program down at Shatterproof and FHE that this was their second or third time. Mm-hmm. Nobody judged them. No. Nobody judged them. Everybody in fact, welcomed them back and said they're happy they're there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for those of you who are listening and you're thinking, well, I've been to recovery. You know, I've been through it. I don't want to go through that again. Sometimes it's not a one and done thing. Sometimes you have to go back to treatment. And you, there's no shame in that. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm glad you said that, Mike. If you have friends that are belittling you or giving you a hard time, they don't need to be in your circle. My circle has shrunk now where people that I thought were my friends really weren't my friends. So I got a lot of friends, but I'm, I'm, you know, I want people, like I said before, Mike, that are going to support me and I support them and push me up, not bring me down. And a lot of times when people do that, you know this, Mike, maybe your listeners do, a lot of times when people resort to belittling or chastising or whatever adjective we want to use, it's because they were of their insecurities or maybe they tried it mm-hmm. and they and it didn't work for them. So it's, it's not going to work for Mike. I tried it. And I know it sounds curt. I know it sounds mean, but you don't need those people in your life. No. You need to surround yourself with the right people. And through your life, especially through your treatment, those people, people are going to come and go, you know, and you might have a different, you know, group of people in your life now than you did 10 years ago. You might have different people in your life a year from now, but always try to surround yourself with people who are lifting you up and try to push you to that higher level. You know, uh, Jim Rohn said, you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. For the listener out there, I mean, who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you trying to get sober right now? Or are you or are you surrounding yourself with your friends who drink all the time? That's I mean, a great point. I've never heard that before. You're the average yeah. of the five people you surround yourself yeah. with. I like yeah. That. I mean, it re- it really, you remember, you know, I mean, you have kids, Mike, and I have kids. I and, and so you remember, you remember telling your kids, I mean, I used to tell my kids, don't hang out with those kids. You know, they're bad kids. You get into trouble all the time. Why is that? Because you are who you associate with. You become that. You know, you, you start becoming who you're around. And so if you want to, if you want to start on the path of treatment, first of all, is make that call to FHG. Next is, okay, who am I surrounding myself with? You know, am I surrounding myself with the people who are, who are just doing the stuff I'm doing? Well, how do you expect to grow? How do you expect to get better? 
And those are hard decisions, Mike. You know that. Mm-hmm. These are friends. But sometimes your friends, I mean, they're looking out for themselves. you got to look out for yourself. You know, and sometimes your, quote, friends are, don't have what's best for you in, in, in mind. So you need to do what's best for you. You know, I tell people all the time, and, and some people might think it's mean, look, nobody's going to come in and save you. Nobody's going to come in and swoop you up. You might have people that you love in your life. I hope you do. They're good friends that support you. But it's up to you to save yourself. You have to do it. Yeah, at the end of the day, the re- the, the recovery comes with you taking yes. that first step and doing the work. It really is. Exactly. And when I immersed myself in the program, I did from the very beginning of Shatterproof and FHE, it was life-changing. And I saw some patients that were just doing their time, punching a clock so they could go back because their union or whoever wanted them to come down. The 99% of the patients there were not like that. But there are, there's always a percentage that is, a small percentage in Shatterproof. They're just biding their time. But the people who, the overwhelming majority of patients down there, when I was down there, immerse themselves in the program. And you know what? They're thriving today, Mike. They might have bad days like I do sometimes. I am still in contact with about 15 people, men and women, that were in the program when I was in. And we're on a big text chain. Every day we're pumping each other up. If one is doing not so good, the others chime in. We get on a phone call. We, we pump each other up. You know, you want to surround yourself with those people. You know, you want to surround yourself with those people. And if you don't have those people in your life, I'm sorry, get rid of them. They're not doing you any favors. Yeah. You know, it, they're, they're not helping you. We get sick on our own and we get well in, in the fellowship. We get we get well as a group. We definitely do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Patrick, I've really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, oh, is there absolutely. any, uh, you can take us out, any last bit of advice or last word for, for everybody before we go? No, it's been an honor, Mike. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I do. And like we've been talking about this last hour, a little over an hour, is there is help out there. You know, you are not alone. You are never alone in your struggles. You always can take that first step. And if you're suffering out there, like Mike mentioned, call FHE. If you're a first responder, get in touch with me, Mike, or call FHE directly and reach out and, and stick with it and, and be strong, you know, because you have a lot of support out there. More than you know. That's another thing. You know, we get a lot of press, bad stuff going on in law enforcement, the press. I still believe, Mike, that the overwhelming majority of people out there in America support law enforcement. Oh, they do. Maybe I'm just, they do. Maybe I'm just naive. I wish they were more vocal, but you are cherished in love. I know it might not seem like it, but people care about you. So take that first step if you are struggling and you need help. Absolutely. And oh, by the way, um, you actually have your own podcast, and uh, yeah. it's called Criminal Justice <laughs> Evolution, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, yes, tell us a little it. bit about that. Uh, it's been going on. Thank you for mentioning it, Mike. I've had that show for about uh, six and a half years, almost seven years now. And I started it when I was still working on the job. And uh, it, I love the show. It, it's a, it's it's therapy for me, uh, even when before I got into therapy, because I have great guests on the show, people like you that come on and they, 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 they talk about, you know, uh, mental health issues and problems and recovery and resiliency and leadership. Now, I do talk about criminal justice issues, use of force and things like that, some hot topics, but I have pivoted. We mentioned pivoted and new mission. So what I like to do now with my show is have great guests like you on the show. Hopefully you come on my show. Oh, absolutely. You absolutely. Give, uh, buy, buy some candy or something. You can come on my show. <laughs> That's right. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I like talking now uh, about mental health and I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist, but mental health and how we as a first responder community struggle with this, leadership, resiliency, 
all those things. Uh, and it's been going strong, Mike. I got about a 470 episodes now, and I've had it for uh, a while. I've had best-selling authors on the show, Navy SEALs on the show, all these people. But I, the, when I first started the show really quick, you know, I didn't want to just sit around and tell war stories all the time. I wanted to be inspirational and motivational, and uh, that's what the show is. So you can find me at cjevolution.com. Yeah, cjevolution.com, and that is Patrick Fitzgibbons. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Really enjoy it. This has been a fascinating discussion. And folks, once again, this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health. And according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. So find out more at fhehealth.com. And so again, guys, like I always like to say, I, I don't actually promote any particular recovery programs that are out there. I know we talk about AA and on other podcasts I've talked about uh, other programs as well. I'm not advocating and I don't represent any of those programs. I'm just telling you what's out there. Educate you on on what they're all about. Uh, Get help. Get help for yourself. Uh, Pick one of these programs and work with them. Find somebody that has the tools, the information that you need to get well because it is possible. There's a reason why I named this podcast Recovery is Possible because it is possible. Patrick and I are examples of that. And uh, so with that, folks, you guys take care of yourselves. You can contact us at uh, VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. That's VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com. Check out our Facebook page. Um, I'm on uh, Facebook. I'm on Twitter. And um, even even on Rumble, you can check us out there. But we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, Take care of yourselves, folks. Keep your head up. Things will get better. You can get well. And we'll be talking to you all soon. Bye-bye.